This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, brilliant. So, my name's Howard, if you don't uh, know me, um, and we're in a series called The Messiah in Isaiah. And uh, we're, 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 so we're literally leaping, leapfrogging through Isaiah, and we're jumping into um, various chapters. So we're in Isaiah 35 this morning, um, and my title is called The Way Home. I don't know if you've ever been away uh, for, for a long period, away from home for a long period, I know that uh, when I was away uh, on sabbatical last year, I would, I'd just arrived back this time last year, and I had a month in South Africa, and uh, I slept in uh, 10 different beds, tried to sleep on three different airlines, didn't manage at all, uh, and, and, you know, and, and basically by the end, I, I was just desperate to be home. And you think, how ridiculous is that? South Africa's a beautiful country, went to some great places, saw Zach, my boy who was out there at the time, went with my family, and all of that was really amazing, but I wanted to be home. By the end, I was, I was tired, and I wanted, my, I wanted to be away home. And in one sense, the, the physical reality... Uh, can anyone relate to that? When you're away for a period of time, so these guys are away from home, they're already like, oh man, I want to go home. Um, and and you're, if you're away for a period of time, that physical reality, I, I think, represents a deeper spiritual reality, a, 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 an echo of, of longing to be home. And, and that's what we're going to see in Isaiah 35. It might be a familiar passage to some of you. Uh, you may have heard it preached a load of different ways, but I'm going to pull out the idea of home from that this morning. So it's Isaiah 35. Uh, as you know, sometimes I do t- retranslate things from when I use commentaries, I think retranslate things. So if you think he's just making it up, no, I, I, I do do my work before I change it. Okay, so let's read. The desert and the parched land will be gladdened by them. Actually, the them is at the end. It's the redeemed of the Lord, just to help you. We'll be gladdened by them. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. See your God will come. With outrage, with divine justice, he will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like the deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. For water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the homes of jackals, grass, reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. No unclean. Uh, the unclean, sorry, will not journey on it. The wicked, uh, the wicked or fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. No any ravenous beast will be found there. 
Only the redeemed will walk with God. Those the Lord has redeemed, has rescued, will return. They will enter Zion with loud singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Lord, we thank you for these great words in Isaiah. Lord, we thank you that there's a promise of a return home. Lord, I I pray at the end of this message that we will uh, rejoice with loud singing that you have put us on a highway to return us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there's three actors in this poem in in Isaiah 35. There's the natural world, so the desert and the parched land. There's humanity, that's you and I, if you you didn't know who that was. And then there's Jesus, the Messiah in the Isaiah. And as we always uh, uh, finish, he's always the hero of our story. Okay, so let's start with Isaiah describes the natural world. And he describes the natural world as an empty wilderness. So he uses words like desert, parched land, inhospitable burning sands, lands of jackals, lions, ravenous beasts. It's not a good place to be. If you had heard Isaiah in, 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 in Palestine then, 750 BC, you'd have known that this is the kind of wilderness, as it were, outside the city. Jerusalem was uh, was built on a spring, that's why it's there, Uh, uh, but outside of that, if you've ever been, uh, I I won't ask you if you've been because it's far too middle class class a question, but if you've ever been to Jerusalem, outside of that there's there's the kind of parched land and the desert, and at that time lions would have been there, ravenous beasts, it was not a place to be. It was not a place that you could live for a long time, you could not sustain life in, in the wilderness for a long time. Obviously, we, we, we know that Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, and, you know, and it says and, 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 and there were wild beasts there. So even then, uh, 750 years ago, 2,000 years ago, it's still wild beasts. It was still that. And this experience of the wilderness would have been embedded in, 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 the, in the, kind of, uh, the, the conscience. A bit like uh, if I say White Cliffs of Dover... You know what that means. It stands kind of for the fortress of Great Britain. You know, or, you know that, uh, there's that Lloyd's advert where you say, well, you need to be open. You know, it's very interesting. But, you know, the White Cliffs of Dover stand for kind of Britain. You know, and we understand that landscape. The, the, the landscape for these people uh, w- that would have meant something is the desert and the parched land would have meant something. What, what's, the, what's the national story? That, that the desert and the wilderness would have resonated. So the Exodus story was this story of, of return home. They went from Canaan into Egypt. We did this a few years back. And then they would have been returning home. So they're, they're freed by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, I mustn't preach the Exodus series again. And went through the, uh, the, the, the waters of baptism, went through the Red Sea. And then they, instead of getting straight home, they had 40 years in the wilderness. But there was longing all those 40 years for a, uh, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. There was this okay, land flowing with milk and honey. God had promised Israel this garden home of a green coastal valleys like the Valley of Sharon, which is on the Mediterranean plain, dew-soaked uh, mountains like Carmel. To be in the wilderness was to be homeless. It was to be away from home. It was to be exiled and longing for home. And that's what we find in this chapter. In the chapters that we've skipped through because they're hard work in Isaiah, basically Isaiah is saying to the people of Israel, if you reject God, you're going to go into exile. You're going to be taken out of this, uh, of this land of milk and honey, this glorious land, and you're going to be exiled. You're going to be outside. 
And the image at this point that is, is, is pointing, uh, it, it's Babylon, but it actually is pointing of a place uh, that, that where life is not sustained, where you're going to be eaten, where, where, where there's burning sands. It paints this picture of the desert. Now, at that point, you might say, okay, well, okay, that's all very helpful, but how does that relate to me? Actually, I think the people who, who listened to Isaiah uh, all those times would have realized, but actually, that, that, that Israel's story is humanity's story. That's always true. If you're looking at Israel, why do we talk about Israel? Because Israel's story is humanity's story. Because right at the very beginning, Adam, whose name stands for Adama, which means the, the man from the dirt, and Eve, who means the mother of all living, means it's you. They stand for us, and they're in a beautiful garden, aren't they? You know this. They're in a beautiful garden, they reject God, and they are cast out into the dry and parched land. So that's what's going on here. And we find ourselves homeless. We are exiled, we're all exiled, from the world we want. We're not created for the wilderness, we're created to long for a place called home. Now you might think, okay, I don't really do wilderness because I live in Cheltenham. And one of the things about Cheltenham, I was saying to some of my friends, you know, when, I, when Naomi and I drove through Cheltenham, and, and, and I think we drove up past the Imperial Gardens and then past Montpellier Gardens, and I turned to Naomi and said, do you think we could plant a church here? She said, mm, I think we could do church here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's beautiful, isn't it? We've got parks. We love parks. But think about this. You're not meant to live in the park. You're not meant to live in the park. If, if you lived in the park, you might think, well, we've got a lovely life here in Cheltenham. But it's the equivalent of living in the park. So if I, you might say, well, I'd love it in the park. Let's have a picnic in the park. Let's do that. We'd love that in the park. But actually, if you lived in the park for a long time, what would happen is you would ruin the park. <coughs> You'd ruin the park. Let's, let's just think about what you're going to do. So where are you going to get your water from? You can't pop out to the shop. You're living in the park. You have to dig up a little pond and gather it and line it and gather the water. You're going to do that. You're going to think, okay, I need something to eat, so I'm going to plough up the flower beds and plant something. I need somewhere to live, so I'm going to chop down the trees. I need somewhere to go up the toilet. You get the idea, yeah? In the end, that you're going to ruin the park. But interestingly, and I heard Tim Keller, who's a preacher from New York, talk about a study that was done about rough sleepers in New York. He says, homelessness, people that were living in Central Park, the, the homelessness ruins them. They get to the point where, where actually, I, I, you know, we don't have many rough sleepers in Cheltenham, but the, the reality of rough sleeping in some of our major cities is actually that people, they, they, they feel they can't live in a home. They get used to being, uh, as it were, homeless. And, and, and there's a tragedy about it, that, 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 that homelessness that ruins the environment you're in, but it also ruins you. And it's, we can see it, can't we? We can see this, that, 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 that we've ruined the world and the world has ruined us. Where it, let me ask you this question. Where is home? It's not in the park, okay, so let's just move that one. But t where is home? You want to say heaven, don't you? God is our home. God is our home. Heaven is not our home. God is our home. God is our home. Augustine, 15 centuries ago, wrote this. I've quoted it before and learn it because it's a great quote. God, you have made us for yourself 
and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Oh, I've slept in loads of beds, I've lived in the park, but I want to go home. That, actually, they might, you know, the people out there, and you might not think of it that way, but that is the, that's the yearning of our, of our society. The, we're literally searching the park for something that feels like I can rest. Something that feels like home. We're, we're kind of living in this world and messing up this world, and it's messing us up, and we're longing for home. So let's just be obvious, you know, I can't skip this by. We have messed up this world, haven't we? Uh, It was really sad. I mean, with all the Brexit stuff, I'm depressed. You listen to the news, I'm so depressed. Leeds losing the week, man, I'm so depressed. Uh, I need to speak to some of you who have been trolling me on the men's social group. (laughs) Will sends me this thing. I bought a new TV to watch the Premier League, but when I opened the box, there was no Leeds. Man, you're hard. Uh, you know, make no wonder I feel sad. But then I listened to this report about biodiversity. Did anyone see that in the news, biodiversity? Like, you don't watch the news, do you? You're probably, you're probably all Derby fans. and th- yeah, Anyway, never mind. This is what it said. A UN report on biodiversity found that around a million animal and plant species are now threatened with ex- extinction. You must have seen this. Yes. Many within decades... More ever than before in human history, the average abundance of native species in most land-based habitats has fallen by 20% since the Industrial Revolution. Woo! We are messing up the home, eh? The Bible's not taken by surprise about that. The natural world isn't flourishing, it's groaning. It's degraded, it's a, it's a desert and a parched land. Paul writes in uh, Romans 8... Uh, Picking some of the stuff from the J.B. Phillips translation says this. All creation was subject to decay. It's turned into a desert. However, creation waits on tiptoe for the day when God's children, when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Wow. Right up to this present time. We too wait for the eager hope for the day when God will give us the full rights as his adopted children. Paul says, creation is waiting in expectation like a pregnant mother until God brings us into his family, until he brings us home. The world is broken because it's waiting for us to come home. Like the prodigal son, humanity finds itself in a far-off country. What happens in the far-off country? The Bible's an amazing book, isn't it? You double-click and think, man, I can go there. I mean, we'll flip. You know, but the, you know, what does he do? He goes, off to, he goes off from home to a far-off country. What happens to the far-off country? There's a famine. There's a dry and parched land. He's scrabbling around amongst the pigs for something to feel satisfied, something to give him rest. And then he comes, he says, he comes to his senses and says, I love this story, I'll arise and go back to my father. There's the father, like creation, on tiptoe, waiting for him to come home. I love it. The world needs to, we need to, we need to come home. We need to come to our senses, Christians and non-Christians, we need to come to our senses and say, I want to go home. I'll arise. And go to my father. 
But we can't, do we? We struggle with it. As Johnny brilliantly preached when I preached from Isaiah 6, he says, actually, because in Isaiah 35, it's got blind and deaf, hasn't it? Blind and deaf are in there. Why, why are they in there? Click back to Isaiah 6. This is what God says to Isaiah. Were a people ever hearing, but never understanding? Ever seeing, but never perceiving? Our hearts are hard. Otherwise, we might see with our ears and hear with our eyes and understand with our hearts and turn and be healed. There's a call home, but we just can't see it. Creation, Paul says in Romans, is whispering about God's glory, but we just can't hear it. So we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world, an environment that's broken, but we live in a world of broken people. We live in a world of death and disease. We live in a world that, that impacts, it's impacting my family. It's impacting your family. We live in a, a broken world. And we want to go home. Okay, so you can all go home now, that's bad news, eh? Oh, we've got time for the good news. The Messiah in Isaiah is making his moment. Do, be strong, do not fear. See, your God will come. That sounds great, doesn't it? God's going to come. Oh, in fact, we can't even go. This is, this is not the father just waiting by the house. This is the father going down from the house, out of the village, into a far off country, to the pig field and saying, come on! See, your God will come with outrage and with divine justice. We'll come back to that in a minute. He'll come and save you. There'll be a highway there. It'll be called the way of holiness for those that walk on the way. Only the redeemed will walk with God. Those the Lord has redeemed will... Uh, re Lord the Redeemer has rescued will... Say that word. The Lord will... Yeah. Going home. They'll enter Zion. That's God's dwelling place with... Loud singing and everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. The Messiah in Isaiah is going to come. Be strong, he says. Why? Because we've got weak knees and feeble hands. We, we, you know, we love to think, don't we, that, that we, can, we can be self-made, that we can do it ourselves, that we can make it ourselves. We love to feel I'm strong, I can stand up on my own two feet. But the truth is, we got weak knees and feeble hands. Be strong. Do not fear. Why does he say do not fear? Because we're anxious. Mental illness, mental, sorry, mental health is like such a challenge. I thought Judith has been brilliant uh, talking about some of the challenges just for teenagers in mental health. I know in school that we've got a counsellor in the, in the school where I'm a governor. We employed him for 15 hours and then we employed him for, uh, for, for 30 hours and, and they're saying we need three counsellors. Just, there's just not enough. Because we've got fearful hearts. We live in a broken world. We've lived in the park too long and we're anxious. Imagine you slept on a bench, an apart bench, one night you would feel fearful, yeah? We've slept our whole lives away from God. Of course we're fearful. God will come. God's going to come in person. He's going to come enter in the barren land and, uh, and parched land. It's no surprise at Christmas, is it? It's no surprise at Christmas. Where's, where's Jesus born? Does he, is he born at home? 
No, he's not born at home. There's no place. He even says about himself, the Son of Man's got no place to lay his head. Why, does he, why is he homeless? Because you're homeless. Because I'm homeless. Because he's coming to bring us home. So he comes into our homelessness. He comes to bring us. Our God will come. He's come to save us. But hang on a minute, there seems to be a bit of a sting in the tail here, doesn't there? He says he's going to come with outrage. Some of you might say, it might say vengeance, or you might say judgment. He said he'll come with outrage and divine justice. You might think, hang on a minute, I knew it. God's going to come and he's going to punish us. We've ruined the park and he's going to punish us. We've made a mess of our lives and he's going to punish us. And we think God coming is not a good idea. I mean, you think, you, you know the story. You think, oh, God coming, that's lovely, isn't it? It's lovely. He's going to come and give you a big cuddle. He's so lovely. And he says, oh, he's going to come. You know, we had this, he's going to fight our battles. We're going to read at the end of Isaiah. It says, he comes like a, he says, who is this, the warrior, coming out of enemy territory, robes covered in blood. You know, man, there's been some stuff going down. There's some fighting going on. You think, it's going to be me. You understand when, that when Isaiah's hearers heard that, they, they thought, this is bad news. We can be like, hey, it's okay. I know the story. Jesus paid it on the cross. Feel the tension, please. Well, I've used this quote before, but I think it's brilliant. Uh, Fleming Routledge, brilliant uh, woman, uh, theologian from the States, read her book on the crucifixion. She said this. I've edited the quote down for you to make it bite-sized, but it's so good. We might ask whether the thought of the consequences of a belief in a God who is not a set against evil. If God was not outraged at evil in all its forms, such a non-indignant God would be a complice to injustice, deception and violence. He'd be saying, you've ruined the world and it's fine. There's injustice and poverty and exploitation and you've done that and it's fine. Such a non-indignant God, would we like that kind of God? No. We sometimes look at the world and say, why is nobody going to put it right? And we want that. We're outraged sometimes, you know, when you hear, I mean, the whole abortion debate in the States, don't get me going, but somebody said to, to, that there's more babies have been aborted in the United States than died in both world wars. I think that's staggering. Maybe we'll have a talk on that sometime, but just, you know, this is outrage, yeah? You should feel outrage. God feels outrage. If God were to outrage the evil in all its forms, such a non-indignant God would be an accomplice to injustice and deception and violence. Perhaps the reason we have trouble with the thought of the justice or the outrage or the wrath of God, that we ourselves are accomplices in this world of evil and justice. A great quote, isn't it? God's coming. God's coming. And the image, and I know this, this probably feels like it's too close to home, but I, I, I've thought about this before, that the image is God comes like a cancer surgeon. He comes with outrage. When you've got cancer in your body, and I know there's a number of people who have suffered that or known people, it's like one in two of us will suffer or know someone. When the, when the surgeon tells you you've got cancer, it's horrible. But you don't say, how dare you? 
You say, thank you, you found it. God comes with outrage, as it were, against a cancer that's sin, that's, that's made us homeless and ruined the world, and he comes with outrage and cuts, takes it out. Environmentalists and psychologists agree humanity is part of the problem. Something's got to be cut out. The tumour's got to be cut out. But what we find, and you know this, as Isaiah unrolls his story chapter by chapter, we see that something remarkable is going to happen. The knife that is going to be, that should be over me, falls on his son. God himself is going to bear the outrage and justice we deserve. Be strong, do not fear. God has come to save us. Let's jump ahead to the, the, the I'm preaching this on the baptism, but this, I still love these. Isaiah's, it's like the beautiful moment in Isaiah. Yet it was our weaknesses he, Jesus, carried. Yet it was our weaknesses he, Jesus, carried. It was our disease that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was wounded so we could be healed. I'm preparing this and I'm thinking, I know that that's where the story's going, but I didn't really see this. I didn't really see this. What is happening on the cross? Jesus is outside Jerusalem in a dry and parched land. He's crying out in thirst. His feeble hands are nailed to the tree. His weak knees giving way, unable to breathe. His limbs are out of joint. His heart, it says in, in, in Psalm 22, we preached on it a few weeks ago, his heart is burning like the desert collapsing within him. On the cross, Jesus is crucified outside the city walls, exiled from home, homeless crying the homeless cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's come to bring us home, people. Let's, get, let's, let's go home with him. He's come to bring his hope. This is the way, this is the highway that he's constructed at great cost. They're talking about HS2. Should we cancel HS2 because it's too expensive? You know, we can't do that railway. It's too expensive. But God has built a highway at great cost, a highway to take us home. Out of the wasteland, out of the barrenness, out of the restless, empty helplessness, out of sin. John the Baptist announces in Isaiah 40, but at the beginning of the Gospels, I think we're preaching, uh, Steve's preaching it next week, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make a highway for him. Jesus says, I am the highway, I am the way, the truth of the life. No one comes to the Father by me. Jesus is the way home. He's the way home. There's no other way. God has raised up a high and holy highway. Jesus. It's called the way of holiness. It says, for those that walk in the way, the unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. How do you get on the highway? You think, well, I better clean up my act. 
I better get clean. I'm unclean. I better get on my act. I, I, I'm, I, I'm wicked. I do stuff that I'd be ashamed of if people knew. I better clean up my act. I'm a fool. The biblical fool, by the way, is the one who says in his heart there is no good. And you might not think you're a fool. You might be wearing that silly hat that fools wear. But actually, how many times do I, how many times do you live like there is no God? When trouble comes, you live like there's no God. In despair. When comfort comes, you live like there's no God. And you think, well, how can I get on the way? Because I'm unclean and I'm wicked and I'm foolish. And be assured that holiness matters. How you live matters. This is not a story of how you live doesn't matter. It's not a story of how you think doesn't matter. It's not a matter of, you know, are you wise? You can pass your exams and that's why. Are you a fool? Are you wicked? Are you unholy? How you live matters. But hear this, people. This is brilliant. I'm not saying it's brilliant because I made it brilliant. It's brilliant because it's the gospel, eh? Wisdom and holiness are not qualifications to walk on the way. You don't have to try and clean up your act. You don't have to try and be better. You don't have to try and be clever. You don't have to try and be wise. You don't have to try and do that. They're, they're not the qualifications, but they are the characteristics. It's a huge difference, but it is a difference. Only the redeemed will walk there. The redeemed are those that were in chains. We sang it. They're in chains, in slavery. God has broken the chains and set them free. That's the qualification. Those get to walk on there. Only those who walk with Jesus can walk their way home. But the characteristics of Jesus' walkers are pure living. There's no room on this way for the dirty habits of the park. And think about it. And, I, I, and I'm not saying this just to you, I'm saying it to me. Sometimes I walk on the way, and I'm following Jesus, and I walk on the way, and I think, right, I'll just have a few moments off the way here. I just like a little bit of desert and parched land, a little bit of park life, a little bit of sin. I'll just step off the way. And then, whoop, hang on, Sunday, I'm back in the way. <laughs> yeah? We do that, don't we? Be careful. What's lurking off the way? Venus beast. We think, don't we, foolishly, I can walk on the way when I want and I can skip off and sin when I want and I'm all fine. If you step off, Peter tells you, he says, be on your guard. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Coming to church is not a matter of saying I'm ticking the attendance register. It's of saying I'm living on the way. Being in your group is about I'm living on the way. Being in community in three is about I'm living on the way. I'm not having time off the way to just do what I want with my money and do what I want with my time. I just live off the way and then rah! And you think, where is that person? They've been eaten, gone. They thought they could live on the way and not on the way, but that doesn't work. You've got to live on the way. Guys, we must stay close to Jesus. Let me finish here. When Jesus comes, and he has come, but he is coming, it's already but not yet, when he comes, he transforms humanity. Then the ears, the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like the deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. There's a question, actually, in the Bible. John the Baptist says, uh, uh, to, to sends his guys to Jesus and says, Are you the Messiah from Isaiah? And he says, Tell them what you see. 
The eyes of the blind are opened and the ears of the deaf are unstopped and the, and the lame leap like the, door, uh, the deer and the gospels preach to the poor. He comes to bring transformation. When Jesus comes in the room, there's transformation. And it's true for you as people. When you come in the room, there should be transformation. You bring transformation. When people touch your lives, they touch transformation. When people say, how are you dealing with the challenge in your life? And you say, my God is strong. You bring transformation. And God's going to make the world right, isn't he? He's going to transform us, to bring us to Eden again. The desert and the parched land will rejoice. We'll be gladdened by God's redeemed. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom, burst into bloom. It rejoice greatly and shout for joy. There's a spiritual and a physical dynamic here for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. When God pours out his spirit on his church, it's like water in the desert. We should be an oasis overflowing with love and grace. Literally to homeless people. But to spiritual homeless people, they should come and think and they should you know, meet with you in community and join your community and think, man, I'm home. They should pray that prayer to become a Christian and think, I'm home. They should lay back and say, this is where I was. You know like your bed is the best bed in the world, isn't it? Actually my bed is, but your bed is. Memory foam. God, the memory foam bed. It's shaped just for us, eh? His gospel is shaped just for us. And you lie back in him and you think, I'm home. This is a message the world wants. This is the one we want. They will return. We're going to do this now. The returning will enter Zion with loud singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing, that's for the wilderness. Let's be a people of joy. Table's in the wrong place. The homeless one. The one without a home. On the cross, feeble hands nailed. Knees giving way, heart burning within him. He knew it was coming. He'd said, come home. He said to his disciples in a little picture of home, let's eat together, let's be home. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this as often as you drink. Uh, this is my blood poured out for you. It's water in a thirsty ground. It's a stream, it's a, in the desert, it's a, a, a fountain. There is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. It flows from the cross to us. Jesus is inviting us this morning. If you're a Christian this morning, he's saying to you, come, come and eat. He says, I'm not going to eat this again until I eat it with you in the kingdom. And I eat it when you're home. Hey, we're eating with him, aren't we now? Because we're home. If you're not a Christian this morning, you might really like park life. But in the end, it's going to ruin you. The call is come home. And for all of us, I hope you feel like I am thirsty to come home this morning. I, I'm, I know I've lived sometimes in those desert moments and I'm coming home. Jesus is the way home. Let's eat with him now.
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.